Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today in the pod, Nikki from Felicious Ventures. I think he's a cool guy who's had a non-traditional path through finance, but very, very interesting. Okay, I won't say any more about it. I'm back from trip number one. About enough time to empty the beach clothes out of my suitcase and fill it back up with clothes for the masters. Cabo with the fam was great. Super relaxing. I played golf twice, but other than that, took it very easy. I always find it funny when people come back from vacations with a tan, they're wearing some bizarre necklace, they still have the wristband on from the festival they went to. But vacations do change you, at least for a little while, and that's a good thing. Hanging out in Cabo with not much distress about, I found that food tastes better. You laugh more. Having a margarita there doesn't mess me up the way it does when I'm home. I think the reason for all that is because my brain is not racing from one thing to the next. I'm not checking emails every five minutes and trying to find time for a run or lunch or spending time with my family. It all just kind of comes. Now that I'm back, I'm eating some pistachios that I brought back from the hotel. And they don't taste the same way that they did just yesterday while I was still there. The nuts haven't changed. What's changed is my mindset. Now I'm thinking about what I want to say on here, how many podcasts I need to get done this week, who the next guest will be, what my week's going to look like with Pay Club and all the obstacles I'll have to overcome. Then, like, how do I spend time with my wife and baby and making, just fitting it all in? Fuck. I need to find a way to keep some of that vacation calm with me. That's why I talk about the exercise and the meditation, but it's definitely not practical to always feel like you're on vacay, nor is it good. I need that sense of urgency in order to get shit done. Okay, so a couple of days of stress now. I'll get everything back organized and then back off to the masters, something that I've thought about my entire life. I'll relax, have an incredible time with my dad, be thankful for it, then come back home and grind some more. That's how it goes. Okay, let's get into the interview. First time ever doing a podcast. First time. First time, man. Popping your cherry right here in the <laughs> Abe Lincoln bedroom. Wherever, wherever. Wow. It's always been my dream to do it in here. You know, many great men have come before me in this room. So it's exciting. Unfortunately, this is audio. You can't see this room. Maybe I can like, post a picture of it or something. I don't, is it, we're in like a courthouse at this conference in Redwood City. And it's like a very historical room that we're in. Lots of artifacts, a huge square table, wood, wood everything. So... Good place for your first one. Definitely. So, hi. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 
Let's see. Let's see where to start with you, Nikki. You, uh, you're an LA guy, but you're, you live in San Francisco now. And I, I, that's, that's what attracted me to you. I saw your LA roots and I was like, oh, this guy and I are going to have some things in common. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, born and raised in Santa Monica, um, uh, you know, went to USC undergrad. And so I was in LA for the first 22 years of my life. Um, and, uh, the first job that I got out of college was, um, at a place called Vista Equity Partners, um, which, uh, was, you know, my first day there was the first day that the Austin office opened and they said, Hey, Nikki, you're going to go to Austin. And I said, okay, for actually until I started one month before, I thought I was going to be going to Boston. And then they told me, no, it's actually Austin. And so a month before I started my job there, I all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to Texas. I'd never been to Texas. I had no idea what was going on in Texas. Um, but I ended up going to Austin. I loved it. And I was there for three years and I had a fantastic time. So it was a really fun experience being there from the ages of 22 to 25. And, you know, Austin is a very popular city now and a lot of people love going there. And it was really cool to be there um, kind of as, as it was as it was grown and becoming uh, more on the radar for a lot of people. So it was your mistake. They said Bo- they said Austin, and you thought Boston originally. I, I, you know, yeah, that's I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, <laughs> but because they didn't have a Boston office, so I must have heard it wrong. But um, at the time, it was just San Fran- their offices were just San Francisco and Chicago, um, and so you know, I just thought maybe they were going to get an East Coast office, and then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm I'm in Austin, Texas, having a really good time. I love it. Yeah. And the other thing here is you went right to the bio side out of, out of undergrad. Like that's not that normal. Yeah. Um, so I did go straight into the buy side. So my, my undergrad was a lot of experimentation in terms of different types of jobs. So I worked in a uh, real estate finance company. I worked for a distressed at hedge fund. I worked at Goldman doing investment banking. Um, I worked for a wealth manager. Uh, it was a lot of different experiences. Um, and it kind of, you know, in, in my personal life, I love to invest in stocks. I really um, enjoyed following the markets. I, you know, even in undergrad, I participated in something called Biz Quiz, where me and two other people from USC had to uh, memorize the front page of the Wall Street Journal every single day for an entire month and then go to Ohio State and play in a Jeopardy-style competition against 30 other schools. Um, I started a group at USC called the USC Value Investing Group with one of my friends, um, and that group is still continuing to go. It's actually you know more legit than it's ever been. They host a stock pitch competition every semester, and you know the the, the the students that are now part of that group are, you know, are getting amazing jobs out of college and it's become this like institution on campus. So I'm really proud to have been part of that. But, you know, a lot of my undergrad was, you know, I was treasurer on at AEPI and at, at my fraternity. Um, and there was a lot of different experiences I had with, you know, unique ways of investing and money, like dealing with money. And, you know, what I really realized is that I, I just love investing um, and I really love business and I wanted to be um, on the buy side. And so, you know, when I left undergrad, I actually left with no job, um, went to travel for three months around Europe, went to 22 countries. Uh, 22 cities and 13 countries with my then girlfriend, now wife, came back in 2010. um, And I said, oh, man, I got to find a job. I want to be on the buy side. So I literally, you know, outbounded and cold emailed hundreds of different uh, hedge funds and private equity funds. I actually at the time really wanted to be in the public markets. Um, And, you know, there was a lot of good resources through the USC Career Center. And I remember emailing this this 
what I thought was a hedge fund called the Waterman Group. And I emailed them once, no response. Emailed them twice, no response. Finally, I sent a third email being like, hey, I really want to work at the Waterman Group. How can I get a job here? And they finally responded and said, hey, this is actually not the... the Waterman Group is actually not the company that you're trying to work at. We're just a recruiting firm, recruiting for this firm called Vista Equity Partners. And I was like, well, all right, sounds good to me. I'll interview with them. Um, I, you know, did a little bit of research on Vista Equity Partners. I was like, oh, you know, private equity, enterprise software. I mean, at the time, I'm just a college kid and I have, you know, at the, I didn't really know what private equity was. I mean, I knew a little bit um, and I didn't really have any experience with enterprise software, but you know, went through a long recruiting process and just ended up at Vista and they said, I'm moving to Austin. And that's just kind of where my journey took me. Um, and so now, you know, what is it? Uh, probably eight years later, you know, I'm still investing in technology. I've had some, you know, detours along the way, but you know, I just got, I just got placed at Vista and then it just kind of dictated the rest of my career and kind of where I spend a lot of my time. Amazing. Okay. So let's, let's get into like the how of this a little bit. So you you had a lot of internships while you're in college, 10 years worth of work experience, like packed down into 30 weeks or something, right? Like yeah. a, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So you got to see what you like, what you don't like. You gravitated towards investing. You've been like investing your bar mitzvah money since you've been 13 years old. <laughs> uh, and you're like, this not is not just my, my bar mitzvah money. Uh, my dad from a very young age told me and my brother, whatever money you guys save, uh, I will match it. And you guys can put that all into stocks. And so from a very young age, we had a very, very strong incentive to save our money and invest. And so we learned from a very young age, you know, where should we be putting our money? How, wh- where can we save? So, you know, I've been, for example, giving myself haircuts in my own shower since I was 12 years old, because, you know, that's $15 I save every two weeks. And that's $30 that I can put in the markets. And so this is, uh, this has been a lifelong of, you know, <laughs> learning how to manage money and, uh, saving money and figuring out, you know, where to put my money. And, you know, it's, I'm definitely have a lot more to learn. You know, the, the fun thing about investing is that, you know, People say that the markets are efficient. I generally agree with that. And so as a result, um, you know, there's if you think you have a formula, uh, in general, you're a fool and you need to always be updating your formula to, to face the realities of the market. And, you know, there's actually a few places that actually have a good formula that has been pretty rock solid for a long time. And one of those places has been Vista. Um, you know, they have a they have a pretty, pretty strong, uh, approach and strategy in terms of enterprise software investing. And they were one of the first people to realize why that business model was so good for private equity. And they've been super disciplined and, um, they've been approaching it the right way for a long time. And it's extremely hard to copy because it's just takes a lot of, uh, a lot of discipline and a lot of analytical rigor to, to make sure you're sticking to the plan. But, um, yeah, so it's, that's, that's how I got into it. And, and I've just been sticking it, sticking to it since. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, the passion is there. Is there anything else you think that Vista saw in you that said, okay, we'll take this guy that doesn't have any investment banking, like he's been traveling the world, like why should we give you a job? Oh man, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, you're very passionate and you're you're well-spoken, so you have those things and maybe that's it. Maybe that was enough. You know, I I think, so for example, I, I had just been focusing on the markets for a long time and I think so relative to some of the other people that were coming in for interviews, I just had a really um, a deeper sense of you know the the balance of risk and reward and kind of what was going on in the markets and how to think about valuation for a company and um, you know how to analyze an investment that 
I think just came from many years of like reading books and reading Warren Buffett and just kind of trying to sound smarter than I probably was at the time. I, I wish I could go back and watch a video of the things that, that I was saying. Um, but you know, even, even while I was at in, in undergrad, I had a blog called college trillionaires with one of my good friends. And we only called it college trillionaires cause college billionaires URL was taken. Um, but every single day we used to sit down and write a market recap in which was probably like three to four paragraphs about what happened in the market that day. Um, we wrote, uh, a term of the day, which was trying to explain to people, and this was the the target audience was uh, was college students um, who I thought at the time were being really underserved by a lot of uh, the media outlets out there. So like there's CNBC and Motley Fool and all that stuff, but none of them really were targeting college kids. And a lot of college kids, I think, were really excited about the markets and had nowhere to learn. And so you know, every day we wrote a term of the day. So it was like, okay, what is the PE ratio? Like, how do you understand? You know, what is it? Is 20 good? Is 10 good? Is 30 good? And trying to explain that concept. And then. I, th I think every single day we did a stock of the day, or if it wasn't every single day, it was every other day. And this was like, you know, probably about two page single spaced analysis of why a stock was either good or bad. And I mean, they were far ranging from Chipotle to Brazilian oil stock like Petrobras and um, just all different kinds of businesses. And so when I came into the Vista interview, you know, I, I had a pretty good grounding, at least relatively to other people of my peers. And yeah. I think that that kind of shown through. And yeah, I, I think I was just really passionate about it. And um, I think I think that resonated as well. But I mean, it was probably 15 to 20 in-person interviews in two super days in two different cities. So it, it was not easy. No, I mean, that's intense. Wow. Yeah, it was really intense. Well. Congratulations. That's a pretty cool job to get. And you skip investment banking. You're working in private equity in Austin. Like life is life is great. Uh, I mean, life is like, it was definitely great. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was working really hard and, and honestly learned from the best. Um, I, to this day, I still think that they're the best investors um, that I've ever interacted with. And, um, you know, I have just a, a ton of respect for the people there and, and continue to do so. Still have a lot of friends at the firm. And um, yeah, it was it was my my experience between the ages of 22 to 25 have really like were formational for me and have really um impacted the way that I think about the world right now and and kind of once you see what you think in your mind is like the gold standard then you know you always are basically like striving to reach that in your other jobs and your other careers and the other fields of work that you do and so I was really lucky to have that experience as a young as a young guy yeah that's interesting how you say that cuz most people just see a bunch of stuff that they don't like and it's like the opposite of the gold standard and they're like they keep striving for the gold standard and maybe they get to it and, and maybe not but you saw it at your very first job so that that you're right that's that's an interesting like framing of how you see things yeah okay um well you don't work there anymore so why'd you leave yeah so um couple like a little bit personal a little bit professional i you know i think you know after most of my career had been in finance and you know once you get to the age of 25 and everything that you're doing is in finance you get a little bit of a grass is greener on the other side mentality um as i, I as i think is just very natural and i was looking at some of my friends working in tech and working in the operating world and i said dang i'm really curious to know what that life is like um and you know whether i like it or not and you know i guess if i don't try it now and if i just stay at vista you know until i'm 40 i could do that um if you know if i kept on working hard and, you know, I like other people on my team wanted me there, but part of me wanted to go and try out working in the operating world. And so I'm from, um, 
Santa Monica and my wife is from Hong Kong and we said, okay, well, you know, Austin is kind of far away from both those places. Why don't we move to California, be closer to our families? And so, um, you know, ended up getting a job at a place called the Climate Corporation, which is just like the furthest thing away um, from enterprise software, private equity is, is basically a, a startup in the agriculture technology space. Um, that was uh, trying to bring data analytics and like IOT sensors to the world of farming um, to help uh, uh, farmers basically like, optimize their yields because and their, their whole perspective was, you know, companies like Monsanto have been using biology for many years um, to be optimize yields with, you know, gene editing and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, now that now can we use sensors and, and data to say, OK, you know, it's going to rain. On, we think it's going to rain on this day, and it's this is going to be the temperature, and you have this many pesticide, like you have these many pests in your uh, soil, and you know you have this much nitrogen in your soil. Based on that, we think this is the best time to plant your seed, and you know two months from now is probably the best time to harvest your crops because if you wait a little bit longer, it might take too long. And so the, it was a very interesting um, approach to farming, uh, and I, I, you know, at that point, having been at Vista for three years, was like really drawn to an, a mission like that where I was like, oh man, I can go work for a technology company that, you know, if they succeed could just like, you know, drastically change the amount of food that's created in the world and be like very positive to society. So um, I, I went there actually right after they had gotten uh, acquired by Monsanto. And that was like really the first big ag tech exit um, in this whole startup world. And so they had gotten bought for a billion dollars, which was very exciting. And so I went there, I, I went to work on the sales operations and strategy team um, really trying to figure out like, okay, we've built this amazing product. How do we actually get it into the hands of farmers? How do we build a sales organization all across the middle of the United States, what we call the I states like Iowa, Illinois, um, Ohio, um, to actually try to get farmers to be using our products. And, you know, it was, it was an interesting challenge and it was good to get my hands dirty and try to figure out um, how to do that. I, I lasted there about a year before I, I got the itch to go back into finance and, you know, even though it was a year and I wasn't there for that long and, you know, I left Vista to, to go there, it was um, it was a really great experience for me because now that I'm back into in, back in finance and investing, I no longer have that, uh, you know, grass is greener on the other side mentality, which has I personally think has benefited my career a lot because, you know, I still have friends who have been in finance um, basically ever since they graduated and they always kind of have one foot in, one foot out. They're always kind of like, oh, man, I really like my job, but I'm working so hard. And, you know, I don't know, like it feels very, uh, you know, like I'm not getting my hands dirty and I'm not actually building anything. And it's kind of like, oh, like, should I go work for a, a company or should I stay in finance? And for me, I'm just like, I've tried the other side. Yeah. I know what it's like. I, I enjoyed it while I was there, but I'm really happy to be doing what I'm doing and I can basically be all in and hundred percent focused. And I think that's a very important, um, characteristic of being an, an investor is you got to be all in, you know, I, I, I have worked with people who, you know, after we meet a startup, will think to themselves, dang, um, I wish I started that company or I wish I was the founder of that company or I, I wish I could go work for that company. For me, when I leave a meeting with a, with an amazing company, the first thing I think is, wow, how can I become an investor in that company and help them scale? But, you know, mainly with, you know, advice and capital and, and being a good investor as opposed to actually working there or being a founder. That's very wise. It's, I mean, yeah, like I was going to say, would you do it over again? But you definitely would because it's like, this is, this is your path. This is what was kind of laid out for you. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, this was my path. And, and, um, you know, you just kind of got to look for, uh, the positive silver linings in the way that your path kind of went and, and just try to learn from them and, and just, um, become better as a result. So, I mean, looking back, it's really easy to see that in that hindsight, but when you were there, were you like, shit, what did I do? Uh, no, I was, I was, um, I, I, I was pretty open to wherever kind of my path took me. I, I've always kind of operated on the mentality that you can't reverse the past. And so you just got to make the most of what's ahead of you. And so, um, usually that just comes down to, you know, cutting your losses relatively quickly. Um, once you know, uh, what you want to do and then pursuing it really hard. So, you know, once like when I graduated undergrad, it was kind of like, okay, I know I want to be on the buy side and that's, I'm going to put a hundred percent of my effort into that and just really hustled super hard to make that happen. And then, you know, once I was at climate corp and I knew I wanted to get back into finance, it was kind of like, okay, I've made my decision. You know, there's no reason to mess around now. Like, let's go figure this out. And so, um, that's what I did. Okay. I, I buy it. I like it. It makes sense. So you, you're there, you're, you got your operating experience out of your system back to the investing world. What do you go do? Um, so I applied to a bunch of places again, Um, like hundreds again, probably not a hundred, uh, but you know, this time I tried to you go through a lot of recruiters, um, because they were, they were, I thought helpful. Um, it was kind of like at a point where it was hard to navigate, uh, that path without a recruiter in a way. Cause I had a very like non-traditional background, like not many people go into the buy side first and then leave the buy side to go work for a tech company. And then a year later, come back to work in finance. And, and so for a lot of places that I was applying to, they're just like, what, what are you doing? Like, what is the, what was the thought process? And one of the biggest hurdles to getting back into finance was trying to convince people that my intentions were pure and that I actually, you know, made these decisions that I made and, uh, you know, actually wanted to, um, go back into finance and like I had learned from my experiences and it it was pretty hard to convince people that, you know, luckily, um, the team at summit gave me a chance. Um, so summit is a growth equity fund, um, that, you know, is, it's, it's growth equity and venture, but they, they have a very unique model where a lot of it is out, especially for, you know, where I was at my career as an associate, a lot of it is outbound, um, sourcing and, you know, they have, they're mainly looking for whether boots, not, not exactly bootstrap, but like usually have not raised very much money, usually are growing relatively quickly. And, you know, they have a venture side and a uh, growth equity side. The growth equity side is writing 50 checks and up. The venture side is writing checks in like the 10 to $15 million range. And so I went and given my background at Vista, um, you know, I, I joined the growth equity tech team there. Um, and, I think they, they took a chance on me and I really appreciate that because that was my launch back into the investing world. And I think I had a really good time and it was actually at summit that I learned how to source. And that has been very, very, um, critical to my success in venture. And I think just in investing in general, you know, when I was at Vista, they already had a, a pretty good brand name. Um, and a lot of my job there was diligence and transaction execution. And I learned a ton about, you know, what is a good business? What is not a good business? How do you find out what data do you look at? You know, how do you build a model really getting into the numbers? Um, and then at summit, a lot of my job was, okay, you know, no one's going to hand you anything, right? A lot of times these are, are bootstrapped companies growing quickly. The founder is having a good time 
um, you know, they don't really need your capital. And, you know, so you have to go out there and actually find these companies and try to convince the founders to, to work with Summit and take, take some, you know, chips off the table. And so it was a, it was a little bit of a shock to the system at first because, uh, it, it was not something I was used to. I remember my first call to a founder, I was just like shaking in my boots and, I, it was just funny because it was very much an open floor plan and everybody could hear you. Um, and so I was pretty nervous, um, but eventually you get into the groove. You you kind of learn how to approach it and how to filter out companies uh, relatively quickly and figure out where you want to spend your time and how to talk to founders, how to get in touch with them, how to you know push the right buttons to um, kind of continue moving through your list of companies that are in your target zone, almost like a sales funnel. And so, uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, and you know, now that I'm in venture, it's, it's, I really treasure my experience at summit because so much of venture is just like going out there and finding companies. People just think that, you know, founders are just like, laying at your doorstep, like, please give me money. And it's, you know, for the best companies, there's a lot of competition. A lot of people are trying to get in front of them. Um, you know, and if you really want to do a good job of, of, um, picking the best companies first, you got to find them and you got to get in front of them in the first place. And that's at Summit was really where I learned how to do that. Yeah. Uh, well, after I did banking, I really wanted to work in a sourcing role, like at Summit or TA or something yeah. where they, they like, like what you're saying, they hire like how many people, like 20 X investment bankers or something like mm-hmm. lots and lots of people. And you're there cold calling 30, 40 calls a day, something like that. And most people, most people don't actually source a company, right? Like, but I'm sure you did. It's not, you did. You definitely, I did not. You did, I did not. not. I did not. No. How long um, were you there? I was there for one year. So you were there for one year and you never got one, but most people don't, right? Uh, I would say probably about 50% of people. I actually don't know the stats, so I don't want to um, just make numbers up, but roughly there, half there are some that do, some that don't. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, Oh man, I would have bet a lot of money. I would have bet all my bar mitzvah money that you would have sourced one. <laughs> um, but that's cool. And good for you for getting that job. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, like, I, I really, I really admired that skill set of just like being able to just like fearlessly call people and like have confidence like that. That's, that's a good skill set. Yeah. It's, it, it's a good skill set for sure. And you know, I'm doing less cold calling right now and at Felicis. Yeah. Um, because that would just kind of be weird if I was, if I was calling, you know, early stage founders with, with like five people, they'd just be like, why, why are you calling me? How did you get my number? Um, and so also like most people are on their cell phone right now. And so you can't really get people's numbers as easily. Whereas at Summit, they're like bigger companies and they have office numbers. Um, but anyways, that's besides the point. Um, but th- it was more about kind of what questions to ask, um, more than anything, you know, obviously getting the confidence to talk to a CEO and a founder is really important, but I think what's, what's also really important is to getting to the heart of whether it's a business that you want to spend time with and focus on and, and continue talking to or, or not, um, based on your firm and the, what you think your firm would be interested in investing in. And so, um, I think of all the skills that I learned at summit, that was probably the biggest one is asking the right questions and getting to the, to the ultimate right answer of whether this is worth spending right. time on or not. Interesting. Okay. And you're there for a year. You've picked up the skill set. I mean, imagine on like day two, you've you're pretty much like tapped out on yeah, how much it's, confidence it's, you're it's pretty, it's pretty quick. It's, ramp pretty up. Fast, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's either, you know, get on with it or get out. Okay. And you're like, I like investing and maybe I can do something that combines the Vista and the summer thing, like a little, a little mix of both. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, so the, the way that it played out is, you know, at the time Felicis was, uh, 
four partners um, and you know a lot of their time was spent working with existing portfolio companies and a lot of their uh, a lot of their network and and their deal flow was inbound through their network and through founders um, and you know they wanted someone to come in and just kind of help them uh, with their outbound processes and and say hey like here's we have way bigger aperture of the type of companies that we can invest in we're you know not sector specific we're we can invest in any geography. We write checks anywhere from, you know, 500k to a million at the low end, up to 10 million to 15 million at the high end. And, you know, we're just looking for really amazing founders and really amazing businesses. And so, Nikki, here's the here's the here's the world. Like, go go find companies. And and so that was kind of my job coming into Felicis. And so, um, if you can imagine, I went from a world where it was very much um, like a, a target set of or, or like a specific criteria of companies that we would go after, like close to bootstrapped, growing quickly, um, usually, you know, 20 to 30 million revenues and growing vast to all of a sudden now a whole wide range. And not only that, but I was the only junior person as opposed to Summit where, you know, there was like 15, 20 people that I was, um, you know, internally um, going up against to find companies. And so, and I had learned all these skills you know, both at my time at Vista about, you know, kind of what makes a good company and how to figure it out, but also at Summit where it's like, how, how do you get in front of founders and, and, and quickly, you know, decide whether it's, it's worth spending the time or not. And, um, it was just a really, really enjoyable experience. So I met, you know, met with the team a couple of times and, um, you know, made the transition and it was, it was, uh, it was off to the races. And was this through recruiters again? Um, no, it was, uh, they actually had reached out to me through a, a mutual friend. And so, you know, at the time I wasn't even thinking about venture, honestly, I thought <laughs> I go back to my journals at the time. And, um, I really, at the time was thinking about moving back into just kind of like late stage private equity. And so venture wasn't even really a thought in my mind. Um, but you know, once I met the team, I, I really gelled with them, really bonded. Um, and I really liked their approach and, you know, I wanted to be part of it. And, you know, Felicis is, has a relatively young history, but they've had a lot of success early on. And so, you know, I thought it was a good opportunity to come and continue building on top of what they had done so far. Yeah. It's an, it's an interesting story. I mean, most people don't jump around between late stage and early stage and yeah. come, I mean, it's, there's, there's like, I've, I've never done a podcast like this. It's yeah. You know, it's, it, I think it, I always tell people that finance in general is 80 to 85% the same. I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're doing an analysis of, analysis of risk versus reward. Like, you know, when I was, when I was at Vista, it was like, okay, this company is doing $300 million of revenue and $50 million of EBITDA. The company's not going bankrupt. It's just a matter of how much should you pay to win the deal? And what will your returns be if you do that? Right? Like, should we pay 1.2 billion or 1.3 billion? And that was the, that was the deciding factor of whether you did the deal or not. Mm -hmm. At Felicis, you know, my job is now changed where it's not transaction execution. It's actually like I'm meeting with a founder and it's not, you know, should I pay $45 million valuation or 50? It's do I think that this company is going to be very big or do I not? And if I think yes, then let's chase it and let's do the deal. And if not, then, you know, let's respectfully uh, agree to move on. Um and so my my job has has changed a lot, but in general, it's still a risk reward calculation. But there are some other things, right? So like the ten to fifteen percent that's different, for example, is, you know, when I'm meeting with a founder now at the Cedar Series A stage, I need to think to myself, like, okay, you know, is this an industry that when they 
inevitably need to raise capital again in like 18 to 24 months. Is this an industry where, you know, I feel very confident that as they go talk to other venture investors, um, that other venture investors will like take a meeting with this founder and with this company because they're like, this is a hot industry and a hot sector and like other, found, uh, you know, venture investors will be excited about it. Or, you know, when they go out to raise in 18 to 24 months, are 90% of people just going to, you know, pass on it up front because they just don't even know the market. And, you know, even if it's really great business, some people just might pass because they have like some scar tissue in that market or, uh, you know, they have some bad experiences and, and, you know, that will make it significantly harder for this company to raise their next round of capital, which they need to, as one part of the stage to go on and be a really big company. And so like, that is something that I had never thought of before. And so like, you know, sometimes I would bring deals early on in my career at Felicis and one of my partners would say, Nikki, like this seems like an interesting company, but you know, they're going to need to raise more money. And this might be a, a se- this is a sector that not many other people know about. And so maybe, you know, this will be, this will handicap the company's potential to raise capital. And that should go into your risk criteria. And that is a risk that I had never thought of before. So there's like little yeah. nuances like that, that make venture and private equity and growth equity all slightly different. Um, but you learn it relatively quickly, um, you know, six months in, and I had really changed kind of my mindset in terms of like what I need to look out for. That was different. That's you're right. That's, that's interesting. Those nuances between, I guess, I guess asset classes. Yeah. And, and, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, when you're, when you're talking to the founder of in Avista, some of the founders that I had worked that had built those companies were still the founders. And by that point, you know, they were either a little checked out or it was time to, the thought process was, you know, this person is going to, we're going to do this deal with this person and they're going to leave the company. They're going to go either start another business or, or go retire because they've worked so hard their whole life. And now have made a lot of money for us now at Felices, it's, you know, we really want to back the founder and, and they're still early on in their career. They still have a lot more to learn. They still have a lot of company building left. And so the mentality about the type of founders that you're looking for, um, has definitely shifted as yeah, well. And, and so some, that was a new, um, way of looking at investing as well. Yeah. I was just gonna say, and some, it was somewhere in the middle where somewhere in the middle, you yeah. Don't want the founder to leave, but it's not, it's more so company than, than it is founder. Yeah. Some, it was a lot more, you know, the model is working, and, you know, we need to find some kind of flexible deal that uh, the founder is excited about, but that will also go towards it kind of like helping the company jump, continue to fuel their growth because something is clearly working here. Yeah, but the second two were minority investments and the first one, majority. Uh, Summit did some majority, a good amount of majority oh, investments really? as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, this was like super fun sp- speaking with you. I, I, your story was... Was, is really interesting to hear. It's, it's not a normal story. A lot of zigs and zags and ups and downs, but like your, I think it's your, your attitude and your passion um, that's like been the differentiator for you. I mean, that's what, after 30 minutes, that, that's my two cents. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy what I do and I, I feel very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And, you know, to all the people that are listening to this and, and that, you know, the young people in school or, I, you know, I'm not, I think that's the target market um, for this. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming like there's a wide range of people that are doing it, but it's, you know, just really try a lot of different things, um, you know, figure out what you like, figure out what you don't like and just keep on um, pursuing uh, the, the areas that you're excited about and, and, you know, just work hard to get what you want. And, you know, eventually, um, if you're honest with yourself and you're hustling really hard, like you will get to, um, the place that you want to get to. Well, that's a nice thought to have. And you're right. Even if you 
are doing opportunities and it's like you don't have the golden one first like like you did each thing that you see that you don't like gets you one step closer yeah i mean one of my first jobs in undergrad was an internship where i was at a distressed debt hedge fund and (laughs) i had no idea what i was doing i was pricing illiquid bonds based on the percent chance that they would have to you know if the as the company was going through bankruptcy out I was working with these two lawyers who were trying to figure out uh, how much the bondholders would get based on how the the bankruptcy uh, uh, case ended up. And, you know, I was super fascinated by it, but I also realized that in order to be good at that job, you needed to be a lawyer. And I thought to myself, oh, man, like, you know, more power to these guys. I think there's a lot of money to be made right here, but the steps to get to where they are right now is not something that I want to do. Um, and so I was just like very at peace with that. And, you know, I moved on never again in my life. Did I ever think about being a distressed head hedge fund manager? That's for sure. Um, so that was, you know, a great opportunity to be like, been there, tried that moving on. And, and a lot of the jobs that I did early on, um, were in that same, were in that same pattern. Thanks for listening today. Let me know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks.